Good morning. Uh, so these next two weeks, kind of today and next week, we are, we're kind of in this mini-series. And so during this mini-series, we're going to kind of be looking at uh, essentially a glimpse of our, of our lives. I'm going to kind of take it, though, from the posture or the position of looking at our lives in the lens of sports. I thought, what better way to do that than something that I really love, knowing that the Lord's Team Michigan plays coming up on Saturday. Um, we, are, we are hoping for a win um, in clarity for our quarterbacks, but that's okay. And uh, just, just knowing that sports is a big part of not only my life, but also there's probably a reality that for many of us, sports has played some aspect or some part of our lives somewhere down the road. And so we're going to kind of be looking at it through the lens of sports, but I believe that this series, these two messages are also going to be very important for us to not only just look at sports, but also apply it to our lives. There's some of us probably right now who uh, the last time you stepped on a sport court or field has probably been years and years and years. And you're looking at me saying like, Kyle, what in the world does sports and faith have to do with me and my life? I don't play sports. So, so how is these, these next two weeks going to be important for me? Well, I think it's applicable not just for sports, but also for work, family, friendships, how we spend our time, what we are pouring into. So I think there's multiple different lenses. I'm just going to be looking at through a lens of sports. Does that sound good? Awesome. And if it doesn't, I'm really sorry. Um, Just being honest, right? So today I want to start out, though, with um, kind of a picture. And before I show you the picture, I want to show you the means of how how the photographer captured this picture. So as you'll see up on the screen, this is a motorized paraglider. Anybody ever rode in one of these? I didn't think so. Near have I. You have? I am so jealous. Um, I think these things are awesome. Uh, I would love to ride in this. And there's a photographer who has kind of taken upon himself and his goal of he wants to capture things of nature from his own personal motorized paraglider. So he's a professional photographer and doing it for a lot of years. And he said, how do I get a different perspective? How do I change the view? How do I look at something differently? And then a few years ago, he shot this picture. And for many of us, we look at this and we're like, wow, that's like a picture of uh, camels. Okay. But here's what's interesting is that picture was shot from his motorized paraglider. It was featured in National Geographic. It won tons and tons of awards. And as you look at this picture, you, you see details of these camels. You see the different size humps that they have. You see that there are some camels that are larger than others. You see uh, kind of pods of camels, so maybe families that these camels represent. But here's what's so intriguing. As you look at this picture, you see the shape of the camels. But if you actually look closer at the picture, you see that it's just the shadow that we really see first. The shadow. The actual camel is the little thin, light brown, light gray, black little specks. And as he shot this picture from above, he saw the outline of the camels in the shadow before he actually maybe even saw the actual thing. How often is that how we even look at our life? We get so obsessed with the shadow The things that are good, they look good. The details are there. It's beautiful in some ways. But 
We miss the main thing. What if, in the lens we look at today and these next two weeks is, what if sports or the things in our life that are good are only shadows of the thing that is great? What if the things in our life that are good are only shadows of the thing, the person that is truly great? Another way of thinking about this is, is maybe whatever we are participating in or whatever we've become obsessed with, maybe even, are just a shadow. Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's a team. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's a certain relationship or friendship. Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's certain goals. But what if those things that are good are only shadows of the truly great thing that is Jesus? That these things in and of themselves might not be bad. They're good. But the true greatness of what they point to is the great Jesus Christ. I think oftentimes we look at the shadow of things in our life and we let it kind of dictate how our life goes. In sports, it, it might become the achievement of winning the medal. And as we go on and we win the medal, we sacrifice the team chemistry. Or what about, for some of us, it might be achieving financial abundance. But in the process, we sacrifice faithfully stewarding our money the way that God has asked us to. Or what about for some of us, it might be, how do I stay comfortable rather than serving as a servant in my life like Jesus has called me to be? I want to dive right in today, and, I, and Paul talks about this. Paul would have grown up in a culture where sports was all around him and surrounded by him. And so as he grew up and as he was penning alive his letters and, and even some of the texts that he writes, he uses sports imagery quite often and metaphors quite often. And so if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open up to 1 Corinthians 9 with me. This would be the letter that he writes to the church in Corinth. And as he writes this letter, verses 24 through 27, he uses the imagery of sports. He uses the illustration of training as an athlete. And this is what he says. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. See, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. Rather, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Let's, let's unpack this a little bit. Let's unpack this a little bit. As, as he talks about it, Paul, he, he writes that athletes, when you go and enter into a race, you run the race to do one thing, right? And you run it to what? Win. If I'm, first off, if I'm signing up for a race, I'm crazy. But number two, if I'm going to run a race, my goal is to win it. Anybody else competitive? I do. I want to win at I am, I am cutthroat. 
I am that guy in the softball field right now. If we are up by 10, we should be up by 15. Put the pedal to the metal. Don't let up. Let them suffer. We are here to win. You, you know what I'm saying? This is why my wife doesn't play co-ed softball with me. We're working on that. We're praying through that, actually. Um, but, but we run to win the race. We don't just run to have fun. We don't just play the games to just play. We run to win. That's what Paul says here. And you train and you compete to win the goal. You do all of this training. You do all this competition to win. And he talks about uh, shadow boxing. If you were a boxer, it's this, it's this moment where there's nobody really in front of you, but you're practicing your moves. You're throwing your right hands and your left hooks. You're, you're shadow boxing. You're preparing for the fight. You're preparing for the ultimate goal, which is to win. But there's a reality for us in today's world and in our lives, and even for Paul, is that we're not just competing against shadows, though. There's real people, real forces that oppose us, Right? And so we have to train our bodies and we have to seek to win in the end. And, and this is what's so beautiful. As he talks about the, the reality of sports, but he talks about it also in the eternal sense. When he talks about you, these athletes that he's referring to, they, they seek to win a, a crown that was made out of um, flowers and vines. But then he contrasts that with the eternal crown, the crown of salvation. And so he's using a metaphor that they would understand, we understand, and he's saying, but there's more at stake here. When he talks about being disciplined, these athletes, the Olympians at the time, would discipline themselves and train upwards of a minimum of 10 months for these games. And in the training and the discipline, they would have to uh, keep oneself, keep themselves away from certain things in the culture so that their body would be so well-oiled and maintained for the ultimate goal, which is to win. They would not be able to eat certain meats and certain foods that would be maybe sacrificed to idols or even drink certain beverages of alcohol or certain other beverages that other people in their family, even their maybe spouse and their closest friends would partake in but they themselves as an athlete would restrain themselves through discipline and training to seek the ultimate goal, to win the race ahead. And it's all to chase a crown that fades away. It's all to chase a crown that at the end of the day, it's just going to fizzle away. It's going to break away. The wreath that they would get placed on their head would be one that doesn't last for all eternity. But Paul is reminding us that there are bigger things. There's an eternal crown. And I think essentially what he's saying, maybe even in this text, that as I was wrestling with this, the question came for me is, is are we willing to keep our focus on the thing that matters to keep our pursuit at hand? Are we willing to keep our focus so clearly defined on Jesus ahead, clearly defined on, on God and his call of our lives, that we are willing to be disciplined and to train and to run the race for him? Or are we allowing outside forces, outside people from the cheering section, from the crowd, to influence our path and our pursuit for the ultimate goal? 
Are we willing to keep ourselves out of toxic groups or toxic relationships so that we can run this race the way that we've been called? Are we willing to keep ourselves even from social media or media outlets so that we are able to run this race that we are called? Are we willing to keep ourselves from <clears throat> certain food or beverages that, that maybe are not going to help us get to the ultimate goal ahead to run this race? See, Paul talks about this. When he talks about chasing the eternal crown, we've said this is salvation. It's not just a wreath made out of these uh, leaves and these vines that are going to fade away, but this is, rather, this is rather the eternal moment standing before the throne and seeing all of the glory. How is this done, though? How do we get there? It's crazy that we're doing this kind of series immediately after our soul work. Because how do we get there? How do we grow in that? It's through discipline and training. We just went through 12 weeks of spiritual disciplines, spiritual essential trainings to help us grow in our faith, grow in our relationship with God. The question is, is did we just take that in and say, yeah, that sounds really, really good. I should maybe think about doing that. Or did we take it in and say, I need to apply this to my life so that I can run the race God has set out before me? Our hope is, my hope is, is that when we went through these 12 weeks of spiritual exercises, spiritual disciplines, is that we were willing and ready to make them a, a vital part of our lives, to continue to grow, to continue to, to have a deeper relationship with Jesus personally and corporately. Because at the end of the day, we have to remember, we have to remember that sports and the things in our lives are just shadows of Jesus. They're just the shadows of the camel. Jesus is the camel itself. The good things that are cast, the good things that are seen are just shadows of the great thing, which is Jesus Christ. The things in our life, the sports, the, the job, the security and relationships, those are just shadows of the true greatness of Jesus Christ. And when Paul talks about <clears throat> being disqualified here, it's not that he is losing salvation. Most commentators say that this would be uh, essentially Paul saying that is, is without training and without the effort in the full that I may lose the full glory and seeing the, see the fullness of everything. And so he's, it's another way of urging the readers, urging us to continue to run the race at full steam ahead, to continue to pursue Jesus, continue to pursue the eternal crown, even when the, the hurdles come, even when the pits and the valleys and the mud is in front of us, to continue to pursue Jesus all the way ahead. It's not the loss of salvation. It's rather, are we doing this with a full effort, a full passion, a full heart towards Jesus? He essentially is saying in there is, what is the ultimate thing or person that we are chasing in our race? What is the ultimate thing or the ultimate person that we are chasing in our race? See, all of Paul is writing here in this passage is that everything we do, every single moment that we breathe, every single opportunity we have, are we bringing glory 
and honor to God in his kingdom? Are we running the race? When everything is said and done, are we going to look back and say, man, that shortcut I tried to take really paid off? Or are we going to say, I'm glad I ran full pursuit ahead to Jesus? With all the hurdles, all the mud pits, all the branches in the way, I'm glad I ran full pursuit ahead. That we would run this race seeking his ultimate crown. That we'd truly be able to train so much that we are set right in the arena in the race. That whatever we do may be for the glory and the honor of Jesus. Uh, We've talked a little bit about it. Um, There's some of us who are signed up to run this lovely half marathon or full marathon coming up in what seems a few short weeks. Um, And for those of you who have been training faithfully, well done. Um, For those of us who have yet to start training, (laughs) y'all laugh. I'm going to be crying during this race. Um, And here's, I want to share a little bit about that. I remember the first time sitting down talking about uh, the, the half marathon and Team World Vision partnership that they do with it. I remember, I, I still remember the exact table uh, at Bigby Coffee that I sat down with. Her name was Kelly. And, and she said, she's explaining this all. And she, you know, walks in and she has on her, you know, nice running swag. And, and she's like, Kyle, I'm so excited. Like, I, I can't wait to maybe get this thing started. Let me share about it. She's like, we get to run 13 or 26 miles to help kids have clean water in Africa. Doesn't that sound exhilarating? I said, that sounds like Hades. (laughs) To me, that's not exhilarating. That sounds like torture that is unnecessary for my body. Um, And my first comment back to her was I looked at her and I go, does this really look like a body that runs? And she laughed. And quite honestly, she goes, no. And I go, you're right. It runs 60 feet to 60 feet from base to base. And I'm really good at that. I'm not good at running 13 miles. And let me tell you why. At mile 0.25, the thought that goes through my head is, why am I doing this? And yes, I see the the kids' faces and the water, and and I love that. It's beautiful. But then my quads start to say, this hurts. And then my body hurts. And then I get grumpy. And I don't want to be grumpy because I still have 12 point some odd miles to run. And I remember that conversation. And I instantly had flashbacks to high school. Flashbacks to the football field. In football, I was a running back and a wide receiver, and I played defensive back, cornerback safety. And any time that we dropped a ball, our coach said, take a lap. Now, for football, our coaches were very, very um, sweet, kind-hearted gentlemen. And my laps consisted of not just running in full pads, But when you ran a lap, you actually had to hold your helmet above your head, and it could not dip, and it could not go below here. Like, you had me above. 
And as you're running your whole lap around the two entire football fields, side-by-side practice fields, you had to be screaming as loud as you can, I'm a pretty lady. I'm a pretty lady. Now, this sounds a little bit extreme. It was. Yeah, I know. Um, If you did that today, we'd have a lot more issues. Um, But it was this moment, and I remember it still to this day. After the first few times of dropping the ball, I made sure to do whatever I could to never drop a ball again. And then basketball came. You step up to the line at the end of a two-hour practice, and everybody has to hit a free throw. And if you miss a free throw, you had to run these lovely things called suicides, right? Our coach, though, another lovely kind gentleman, said that your suicide had to be done in under 30 seconds. The whole entire team had to get across the line, finish it in under 30 seconds. Otherwise, it doesn't count. So for every missed free throw that somebody on your team misses, you knew that when they stepped on the baseline, he'd blow the whistle and your 30 seconds would start. After that season came baseball season. Any error that was made, any fly ball that was dropped, any fielding error that got by you, you ran these things called pulls. You would go to, the, to one of the, the, the foul line pulls at the very edge of the fence. And at our fields, we had these trees. And so to show that you went to the pole, you had to grab a leaf off the tree. So any error, any moment the ball got by you, you were running as fast as you could to grab your leaf and to bring it back to your coach. So when this idea came to run, the first thought to me was running is bad. Running means I've done something wrong. Running means I'm in trouble. I hate running. I will be the first one to say that. I hate running. And yet, I am signed up for my third half marathon. I still hate running. And even this idea of running for a good cause, I love it. I love what it stands for. I love that we get to help kids like get clean water. But to run sounds horrible. The first year of doing it, my discipline was pretty good. I'd get up early in the morning. I'd go for my run. I'd come back, and uh, Kenny and Cash would greet me at the door as they're eating their breakfast on the step, and, oh, Dad, good job, and I was, I was feeling all right, and my first race was okay. I didn't totally die, but then the second race came, and the discipline was just not there. In the last quarter mile to third of a mile, my whole entire legs from waist down were locked up. I couldn't bend my knees. So I finished the race literally doing that. Discipline wasn't there. This year, we're still working on discipline. (laughs) I will learn one of these days the importance of discipline. And as I think about this goal, right, finishing the race, is that really my end goal? I'd love to finish the race. I'd love to finish the race standing upright. But if I finish crawling, that's a win for me too. 
But my end goal for finishing this race is actually not even the medal. It's not even finishing. It's the reality that kids get clean water. Yes, that's great. But the bigger reality for me is that kids get exposed to the living water. It's not just a physical water bottle or filter or well that gets drilled. It's, it's the reality of what this symbolizes. That when you run in that marathon, that it goes for the physical water, but there is a spiritual part of that. That kids in Africa will be exposed to the living water. The water that once you take a drink, you will never be thirsty again. The water that will quench the deepest of all deepest thirst you can ever have in your life. The living water that will never run dry. The well that will never, ever run out. That's the goal. There's an eternal goal. That these kids would never be satisfied or have to look for satisfaction in a shadow water ever again. But that they have the true, authentic Jesus to offer them, the living water. So as I start to get disciplined, this is me also asking for accountability which I don't want to do. Because <laughs> now that means I got to run. But to run the race chasing a bigger goal. Chasing a bigger goal. Not physical water, but the spiritual water that, that quenches the thirst. That at the end of the day, there's a bigger win here. And Paul talks about that. In his letter to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, this is what he writes, verses 6 to 8. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Jesus Christ. I'm in the wrong Timothy. Hang on. I'm like, that's not the right one. As for me, this is the one. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. Hold up. Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, his essentially young mentee. And he's saying, my time is near. Paul's old. And he realizes, he's looking back and he's like, I don't got many days left. And so as he writes this, remember that setting. Remember the situation where Paul is writing. This older man, as he's writing to encourage Timothy, and he continues on. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. The prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. As his life is coming to an end, he looks back and he says, the eternal crown is awaiting me. The eternal crown. That as he looked back, remember his early life of what he chased after. It was not chasing after Jesus. It was not running even the good run, their good race. He was chasing after things of the world, uh, the titles, the hierarchy, the ladder. He was chasing after the things that didn't matter in the end, the things that would wither away and fall short. And then the rattle, radical encounter with the living Jesus, the spirit of the Lord, and he starts to transform in his life to run the race that matters. And he now looks back and sees the faithfulness 
in his life, and he can look ahead and say, the eternal crown awaits me. Can I just ask the question, when our lives are presented before us, if we have this moment writing to somebody in our lives who we've grown with and mentored and walked with, are we going to say, I've done everything I could to run that race. I've chased after it with everything I have. Or are we going to look back and say, I've chased after the things that never mattered. I chased after more money. I chased after the next title. I chased after the next ring in the ladder. I, I chased after the next relationship. I chased after the fill in the blank. When the moment is presented before us, who or what have we been chasing after? Like I said at the beginning of this, I know some of us are sitting here and thinking, chasing after the sports, or, or I never had to run a single lap around a football field in my life. Kyle, how does this actually work with me? Maybe you've never traded a weekend of church for a weekend of travel ball. Maybe you've never traded a week of church camp and, and sports camp for one another. Maybe you never had to look at your, your child or even yourself and say, well, do you want to go to church camp or do you want to go to football or basketball camp? Maybe that's not you. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's, it's a reality that we've traded God for something else, though. We've traded church for something else or someone else. We've traded blowing off our Bible study to work those extra three hours. And at the end of the extra three hours, you still feel like you accomplished nothing. We've traded sleeping in for that one extra hour instead of showing up for the service or prayer meeting. We've traded... We've traded neglecting to be in community and fellowship with one another in the, the church, in the body of Christ, for having community and fellowship in other areas of our lives, in other arenas. We've traded. I have too. I have too. And so as I wrestle with this, my calling and my wrestling is this, is that God has called us to run the race with each other, to pursue the eternal, not the temporal. One of the beauties about the world vision is this, is that there is a big, big emphasis on community and running together. And I love that. Because when you stumble, when you feel like your legs are going to give out, you run next to somebody who can pick you up and walk and run with you. For some of us, it might mean holding our hand as we get over the hump of a couple miles. There's a wall that you hit after about halfway through that you don't know if you're going to be able to push through. That's why you need to run next to somebody so that you can push each other on and run the race full steam ahead. What are we chasing after? 
as we close today, as uh, Katie comes up, <clears throat> I remember once sitting, sitting in a conference, and they were talking about students specifically, and I was still a youth pastor, and, and this is the comment they said. They said, you are either the missionary or the mission field, but you can't be both. You are either the missionary or the mission field. But you cannot be both. You cannot have a foot in, either, in both sides. You are either the missionary or the mission field. What if we chose to be missionaries? Made a conscious decision right here, right now that in whatever arena, whatever avenue, whatever situation God has allowed us to be in, that we would choose to be a missionary to a world that is broken and hurting, that we would choose to stand firm on his word, stand firm on, his, on, on the Holy Spirit's convictions in our lives, and to run the race full steam ahead for the eternal crown, not for a temporal one. What if we chose to be missionaries and we walked in the, the calling of our lives to be a missionary for his word, his kingdom, his gospel, the good news. How about we go and make disciples in those arenas? That in the workforce, in, in your office space, in your family, that you would choose to be a missionary and make disciples. That you would lead our family from a God-first mentality rather than a world-first or a me-first that we would seek to truly be missionaries living on mission. Because if you're not a missionary, you're a mission field. And that means that somebody else is going to do the work of the missionary. Our families are being discipled by someone or something. Is it by the church and by Jesus or is it by the world? Your fellow athletes and your groups and in your teams are being discipled by someone or something. Is it by Jesus or is it by the world standards and the culture? I think these worlds can collide. And I think they do. Because sports are just shadows of the ultimate thing, which is Jesus Christ. Sports are not bad. Sports are not the issue. It's when we make them an idol in our lives. It's the same with work. It's the same with relationships or media, whatever it might be. So here's what I'm asking us to do today. And it might be uncomfortable for some of us. I know that there's some of us, I'm going to be very blunt about this. There's some of us here today that are teachers or work in schools or, or daycare centers. School is going back, either your kids went back this week or they're going back this coming week. I want to pray over you today. I want to pray over you today. I know there's some of us that also work in, in, in maybe the media business where we are talking and around athletes often. I want to pray for you today. There's other of, us, others of us that are around young people often. 
whether that be in the uh, context of, of student ministry or maybe in the, in the schools or maybe even just in your workforce, you're around college students and young people, high school students, even after school come to work with you. I want to pray for you today. And so here's what I want to do. I want to invite, and I mean this, if, if you are in a position where you interact with students of any age, any context, if you collide in those worlds with them in any age, in any context, can I ask you to stand real quick? Please. And like I said, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys maybe be uncomfortable. Would you come up to the front right here for me real quick? Those of us who are still sitting right now and even online, can I invite you? Can you just extend your hand to them? This, I want to be a commissioning prayer. This is a prayer where we get to pray over these people because they are interacting. Their worlds are colliding with people that are so shapeable and moldable. And we want to make sure that we are commissioning them as a church to stand boldly and go before them and proclaim the gospel and live that out. Would you join me in praying for them today? Would you extend your hand and join me in praying? Father, today we just commission these people to be missionaries. In the context of schools, in the context of colliding with students in any capacity, Lord, I ask that you would give them the words and the opportunities today. In these next weeks and months ahead, that you would give them the right words and opportunities, Lord, to speak and live out your gospel and good news and your love to those they come in contact with. Lord, we commission them as your missionaries, that you, they're their mission field that you have called them to, Lord, is one that many of us would run from, of students and kids, teenagers and toddlers. So God, I ask that right now that you would give them the words, you would give them your love and, a, and an outpouring of your presence and your spirit upon them today. God, I ask that they would have an abundance of your, your spirit flowing out of them and through them, Lord, that in every moment and opportunity, God, wherever you lead them and call them to, that they be a lighthouse and a bright shining light for you. So Father, as a church, we commission them as missionaries and we commit to praying for them this school year. Lord, we are so thankful for what you are doing and what you have done. And God, we pray that our hand-to-hand -hand ministry as you continue to grow it as you see fit, that Lord, you would be the one who would be glorified for the provision and sustaining of that. That as families are impacted and families are just uh, exposed to your love and your grace, Lord, that you would get all the credit, that you would get all the glory. So Father, we give you all the praise, all the glory and all the honor. We pray this in your name. Amen.